Hey, I'm Oliver G, and before you delve into this episode of the Stockholmer, I just wanted to say hello from Paris. Yes, I run a Paris podcast called The Earful Tower. That's a play on words. You've heard of the Eiffel Tower, this one's for your ears. My whole show is about figuring out France with the help of special guests each week. Not too dissimilar from the Stockholmer. Once you've listened to Maddie's episode this week, why don't you head over and have a listen to our show? I'll see you there. Hi there, welcome to the Stockholmer podcast. I'm Maddie Savage, introducing you to the people making a difference in the Swedish capital and beyond. Finding investors is a lot, you know, like getting married or something. Like you only need one yes. So you can go on 100 dates and if 99 of them are bad, that doesn't matter. If you find one who's really like, oh, this is the mission I want to be on. That's Yelmar Nilsoner, whose startup Wati raised more than $3 million in 2016 and was recently listed as among the 100 hottest startups in Europe by Wired magazine. The company makes a gadget that helps users save money on home energy bills. In this episode, Yelmar shares his journey and his hopes for a greener future. The Stockholmer. This episode comes from Wattie's office in Freedom's Plan in the Kungsholmen area of Stockholm, close to the water. A very laid-back place. There's flowers on the table and Yelmar, as always, wandering around uh, in his socks. Um, we'll hear a bit more about Wattie in a moment. But first of all, I just want to talk a bit about your journey getting to where you are now because you're actually a high school dropout. That is correct. Uh, I do not have a high school diploma. A teacher at my school decided that he wouldn't let me do a project or the project that I wanted. And I decided that I wouldn't attend his class anymore. And he told me, literally told me, well, if you don't show up, like you're not going to finish high school and that's not going to be my problem. And he was right. But I was too stubborn to let him have it. Very hard to get a job in Sweden without a high school diploma, proving your English, Swedish and maths. Uh, but you went on to study at KTH, one of the biggest tech schools uh, or universities here um, in Sweden, obviously now CEO. Um, give us the very short version then of what happened in between. Well, a lot of things happened, but I think Sweden have we were this brilliant system where folks like I have a second chance, which is called the Hochschuleprovet. So it's like the SATs or something. Uh, so if you prove that you're actually a smart guy or willing to study hard, uh, because it's a lot about studying hard for that exam as well, then you can get, you can disregard your high school um, scores or um, and grades, and you can get in on your merits on that test. So that's what I did. Did you ever hear back from that teacher? Now you're a <laughs> successful <laughs> entrepreneur. I'm sure he forgot about all of this like 15 minutes after that class. Well. Let's see, maybe he'll get in touch. Maybe who's listening to the podcast? Probably not. So um, you got this degree from KTH. You ran another solar energy company. You spent some time in London and you launched Watty all before you turned 30. Why did you resist a more corporate job? So I think most companies are started because, you know, there's something about the world that you don't like that you'd like to improve, create some order in the chaos. And when you are under 30, like who's going to give you a lot of influence? Like no one. So that's why I think a lot of young people take to startups because in a startup, you can focus on something very, very narrow. And then suddenly people respect your knowledge in that narrow area. So the idea behind Botti was started with looking at why are 
we as consumers so incredibly stupid when it comes to our energy usage. And that's a fact. Like if you look at the stats, like the, the emissions from our homes is much worse than the emissions from our cars. But people don't perceive it that way. And the reason, everyone knows the reason. The reason is we get an energy bill and we look at it for about two and a half seconds and we curse and then we pay it and then we throw it away. So with water, we set out to try to make it extremely easy to understand your energy bill and how you could make smart choices. So we built a product that's in the market today that I think is one of the coolest gadgets you can buy, which keeps track of which appliances on in your home in real time. So whatever you do, if you turn something on, you can see that that specific appliance is on in our app. You don't need any like plugs. You don't need any complicated configurations. You just install our box and it's where it works. It's there. And so we set out with this idea of like, oh, you should be able to understand your energy spending. But, you know, reality is never sort of how th things don't come out as you expect. So now we have incredible engagement with our community. So we have 20 to 30 percent of our customers check the app every day, but almost none of them check the app to save money. So it turns out that having a new kind of relationship with your home, a digital relationship where you can check your phone whenever you want to see what's going on. So people use this to see if they forgot to leave the stove on, to see if their kids came home from school. Last week, I like to go out and meet our customers. And two out of three of the customers I visited when we did the installation had one very specific problem. How much Xbox is my son playing? You know, it was two dads, similar age, exactly the same problem where people really just like to see what's going on at home. What about getting people to actually put money into Wattie? How did you get that off the ground? So the trick is to say AI and machine learning and never mention the words uh, clean tech or energy savings. And then you'll do all right. But, you know, finding investors is a lot, you know, like getting married or something. Like you only need one yes. So you can go on 100 dates, and if 99 of them are bad, that doesn't matter. If you find one who's really like, oh, this is the mission I want to be on. So how many investors did you have to talk to? Was it as many as 99? <laughs> Probably more, I don't know. I've, I've talked to loads. What is your tip for that kind of pitch? I get the question a lot from young people who want to start companies, like, how do I get the first money? How do I present this to the investor? And I always say, like, prob like money is rarely the limiting factor for getting started. Like what you're really looking for is people who want to invest in you and in your idea. So for example, I had five people come on board to work with me for free for a couple of months. That's way more important than like if I had raised some money in the beginning because their time is much more important to them than what money is worth to a rich guy. So a lot of these people were very talented developers. How did you persuade them? <laughs> well, again, they're similar to me in the sense like they were really smart, but no one would take them that seriously because they were young. So I could give them a platform where they could do much more exciting stuff than they could at other companies, I think. Uh, but most of all, they just, they were ready to sign on for a fun adventure. And you know, an adventure isn't fun unless, you know, there's some real danger in it. How many paid employees do you have now then? Just to give us the context of how quickly it's gone from people working for free to a fully functioning European company. Yes, I guess we're three and a half years old or something like that. We're 23 people full time today. But then I think also I have such an easy job. I mean, we're literally trying to save the world. It's like, oh, I just imagine, you know, working at Google, like, let's optimize ads. This is going to be great, folks. Like, that's a tough sell to normal person. Like optimizing ad sounds boring. Like, I just need to go in and say, hey, if we do this well, you know, we're going to have a measurable impact on climate change. It's like, how difficult is it to make people excited about that? And I just like, thank you, Elon. You know, Elon Musk has shown the world that nothing is too difficult, not even energy. 
Uh, so I think that is inspiring thousands and thousands of brilliant entrepreneurs across the world to try to tackle these kinds of problems. Because traditionally, most entrepreneurs, they want to tackle, you know, how to send photos of cats, you know, in a simpler way. Speaking in terms of um, inspiration, you won uh, Nicholas Sendstrom's Green Mentorship Award in 2014. He's the founder of um, Skype. Uh, what did you get out of that? Getting to know Nicholas is amazing because you really get to see that, you know, the uh, entre- I think tech entrepreneurship is a lot like sports. And, you know, uh, the time you have on the field as actually doing the work is going to be very limited. You know, a very short period of time where you can do your best work as a tech entrepreneur. After that, you can go on, you can coach, you can run a team, you can do lots of stuff. And, you know, Nicholas has been there and now he's like being a coach or managing a team. And when I met with him, I could see in his eyes how much he longed for those years when he was, you know, poor, running around, trying to do it. Getting to know these folks who've done this before is invaluable. You know, within 10 minutes, they've understood everything because they've been doing this their entire life. So they see all the tricks, they are, they, every angle you try to hide from them, they see everything you haven't really thought out, they point out. Two years later, here we are with a working product in the market. What's next? So now we've shipped the product. Um, it looks like we've hit a nerve with our community. So people are enjoying the product, finding it useful. We're hoping to get a lot more users in the short term. And then it's all about scaling. So we're an impact company. We started the company because we want to make an impact. So how can we get, in the, get our product into millions of homes? So it's really going to be a busy period working with business development relationships, trying to get big companies like utility companies, push this out to their customers. So what we're trying to do is to partner with the utility company with a service that the end customer will pay for that will replace the revenues from the energy savings. So instead of the energy company trying to trick you to use energy in a wasteful way, they give you a service that helps you use it and manage it in a good way and also helps you feel safe with our real-time features. And in exchange, you pay some kind of subscription for that service. Uh, You mentioned earlier about feeling like you had a specific window of time in which to make your impact. Why do you think that? Why can't older people uh, be entrepreneurs? I think really you can start a company at any age. But if you're realistic and honest about it, and if you look at the founders, most people who build great companies start those companies when they're younger than 25 or probably under 35. Once you're over 35, like if you want to be the very, very best, at some point you're just not going to have the energy. You're not going to be as curious as you used to be. You're going to have all these uh, preconceived notions about how it should be because that's how it was when you came up. You know, and you have to be really uh, narcissistic to think that you're going to be different and somehow you're going to be the smart one who's never going to age like that. Of course, of course, you're going to remember how it was in the good old days when Bitcoin was big. And you're going to be telling the kids like, you know, when I bought Bitcoin, I didn't buy Bitcoin and I was so smart. Therefore, you shouldn't act in this way or you should act in this way in whatever area is happening in 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think like, just I love the struggle of the startup because I know that these are going to be uh, the most like fun and exciting years of my career. You mention uh, pace and tiredness as also perhaps being uh, factors for people burning out when they're a bit older. Um, so how do you deal with that tension? I mean, how can you switch off? Can you switch off? I just love the work. 
I probably lighting the candles at both ends and uh, uh, hopefully giving off a bright light. But as I said, it's like it's no time to sit and rest and watch House of Cards like now. You know, when I'm 52, I I, I can go back and watch the rest of House of Cards. It it, it will still be there. If you had a crystal ball, um, where would you like to be in 20 years' time? Yeah, that's a tough one. One of the best things about uh, being on a journey is that you have no idea where you're going to end up. But also, as I said, like hopefully I'm still going to be in the business uh, somehow. What better time to be alive than when we have like the toughest problem I think humanity has faced yet? Climate change is projected to give us about 1 billion refugees from countries that are flooded where you can no longer live. Uh, I, I don't think the world will be able to manage that. So I think... Th- Absolutely, there's no joke about uh, dealing with these issues and prioritizing them over, you know, optimizing ads. But these issues are out there. A lot of people know this information. Those facts have been in the media for a while, but people are still kind of going about their daily lives, buying stuff with plastic on it, leaving the lights Mm. on. Yeah, because it's far away. It's 40, 50, 60 years away. I mean, some people think it's 20 years away. It doesn't really matter if it's 20 or 60 from like humanity's point of view. So I think we just need really smart investors and entrepreneurs and engineers to work on solving it. And then we need early adopter consumers to support those companies. I was going to say, often people, there's a conflict, I think, between how much individuals think they can do. Mm. You know, you've got people giving up meat to save the planet, but actually if only a few people do that, it's not going to make a huge impact. That's kind of the perception that people that eat meat would say, for example. Um, But how much can an individual consumer really, really make an impact on a day-to-day basis? The biggest misconception, I think, is that like Donald Trump is a threat to stopping climate change. Like the consumers drive the change. So just look at a company like Tesla. 100,000 people bought Tesla cars, max. I don't think they've sold more than 100,000 cars. And they have literally changed the trajectory of global climate change emissions just by buying a cool car that happens to be electric. So this is the power of early adopters. Like the people who are willing to buy the new kind of meat that doesn't require uh, a cow to fart around for five years, um, like that literally is changing the world. It's not going to be the company. It's not going to be Trump or Theresa May or whoever. It's in the hands of the consumers. And the more early adopters we have who are willing to support the early companies, the faster we're going to get there. I have little doubt that we're going to solve this problem. So I'm very confident. And I, as I said, I think the only way to solve it is to really engage the early adopters and to make products that an early majority loves. And I just hope... We can get more and more consumers, you know, excited about being part of that revolution. You've been listening to The Stockholmer, an independent production by Maddie Savage. If you enjoyed the show, we would love you to subscribe using your favourite podcast app if you haven't done so already, so you will get notified whenever a new episode comes out. Thank you to Benoit Derrier for production assistance, Simeon Ghost for permission to use their music, and Richard Stevens for designing our logo. Music